Coming up this evening, live from New York City. Has Speaker Pelosi's trip caused damage to U.S.-China relations? Will China put more economic pressure on Taiwan? We talk with an expert. Inside the Democrat tax and climate bill, a tax on imported oil. What will this do to gas prices at a time when they're already very high? The Chinese Communist Party is buying up American land. The purchases have gone up tenfold in the past decade. That and much more coming up on NTD Business. Great to have you with us. Chenny Wu here for NTD Business. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi wraps up a closely watched trip to Taiwan today. She met with Taiwan's President Tsai Ing-wen, telling reporters that America stands with Taiwan. Today, the world faces a choice between democracy and autocracy. America's determination to preserve democracy here in Taiwan and around the world remains ironclad. At the press conference, Tsai said Pelosi's visit comes at a critical moment for the island, as the Chinese regime ramps up military threats against it. Facing deliberately heightened military threats, Taiwan will not back down. We will firmly uphold our nation's sovereignty and continue to hold the line of defense for democracy. China is not happy over Pelosi's visit. Beijing claims Taiwan as a part of its territory and sees any government's interactions with Taiwanese officials as recognizing it as a de facto nation-state. China has announced that it would conduct live-fire military drills around Taiwan later this week, a move that Taiwan's Ministry of National Defense says would, quote, undermine regional peace and stability. Pelosi and Tsai also held a closed-door meeting and talked about the possibility of signing a trade agreement, according to the Speaker's office. And here to talk to NTD's Don Ma about Speaker Pelosi's trip is Rupert Hammond Chambers. He's the president of U.S.-Taiwan Business Council. Rupert, thanks for joining us today. So my first question to you is, what is the statement that Pelosi or perhaps even the U.S. intended to make with this trip? Well, it's very nice to be back on the show. Thank you for including me. I I think what we're seeing here with Mrs. Pelosi's trip to Taiwan is twofold. One, it's the consistent nature of U.S. policy and its commitment to Taiwan. That includes high-level U.S. government officials visiting the island to communicate with the island's leadership about shared interests across the board, economic, political, cultural, and so on. That is something the United States has done since 1979 in the switch in recognition. I think the second thing that's important to bear in mind here is just how disruptive uh, PRC behavior is in the Taiwan Strait and the extent to which Beijing, not Taipei and Washington, continues to be the significant disruptor of peace and security in the Taiwan Strait and the one disrupting the status quo. Uh, What is transpiring here is uh, can and should be laid at the feet of Beijing and Mr. Xi, not at the feet of Mr. Biden and, and, and President Tsai. You know, on that point, a day before the trip, Beijing's foreign ministry said that the Chinese military will not stand idly by, right, if, if Pelosi goes to Taiwan. Now, personally, I thought this was a threat of military action. Do they just mean they were going to do drills? 
Well, I think they keep it intentionally ambiguous. The military threats, you are, you are correct. It was a military threat. We, we're used to military threats from China. We shouldn't be cavalier about it. The Chinese have uh, expended significant resources since the 95-96 missile crisis to build up their military capabilities. So we shouldn't be cavalier about their, their ability to use those. But we also need to put into, in, into this into context their approach to pressuring and coercing Taiwan. How would this uh, impact uh, U.S.-China tensions if, if it would? Well, I think that that's the big question, isn't it? Um, what, what are the long-term, longer-term implications over Mrs. Pelosi going that has, has characterized the last several weeks and has disrupted capital markets? And, uh, you know, we've seen share prices go down for individual companies, for markets generally over this. And it's gone way out of hand. And the overreaction uh, uh, on this trip has, has really been striking. But, it, but importantly, it fits with China, one of China's stated goals, which is to coerce Taiwan. How do they go about that? Well, economic coercion is important. The more economically successful Taiwan is, separate of China's economic engine, the more vitality and uh, independence with a small I Taiwan has, the more ability it has for self-determination. The less, the more that China can constrict that by pressuring the island and pressuring global markets and global businesses not to engage the island, the more they can make the case or press Taiwan to engage China economically. And that, of course, equips China then to leverage that economic dependency into political concessions. So that, that I think, is the longer-term concern. In the coming years, how is this political and military intimidation that Chinese are directing at Taiwan going to impact how global business sees Taiwan in the future? And, by, and, and as a consequence, what kind of pressure can the PRC apply if it, in fact, weakens Taiwan economically? Now, on that point of business, will this visit boost the chance of U.S. Taiwan the U.S. Taiwan trade deal, for example, uh, the chips industry, the relationship there? Well, I certainly think that's obviously that's at the core. You know, the 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 economic the semiconductor relationship between the U.S. and Taiwan, Japan, of course, um, is enormously important to so many industries. The economic ramifications of cutting Taiwan off from the global supply chain. Are manifestly more serious for the global economy than they are with the with the with the war going on in Ukraine. The bilateral trade agreement between Taiwan and the United States is an absolute must. If there's one country, if there's one entity that could potentially be seen to do a trade agreement with, it is 100% Taiwan, and it would have bipartisan support. So I'm I'm hoping that 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 will be given a fresh look in the coming months. I see. Just one last question, Rupert. You know, Pelosi uh, visited Taiwan despite all the threats from China. So going forward, do you think China should get the message that U.S. will not back down in the face of threats? I think there are two sides to this coin. Uh, the one side is, yes, Mrs. Pelosi went, um, and that, that signaled to, the, to, to China that we will continue to send senior uh, officials to Taiwan. Conversely, on the other side of the coin, China, or certainly some in China, have a, a, a clear understanding of uh, how our government works, the division of power between congressional and executive branch, and the success, the, how successfully these past two weeks they've managed to shape this narrative. And, and that uh, much of the coverage and much of the statements out of governments, think tanks, academics, even businesses, characterizes PRC priorities, not U.S. and Taiwan priorities. I think from that standpoint, we have real cause for concern. Right, right. Thank you for your insight, Rupert Hammett Chambers, president of U.S. Taiwan Business Council. Thank you very much for coming on.
It's always my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. President Biden will sign the so-called CHIPS Act next Tuesday. The White House just made the announcement today. It passed both chambers in July. The bill is worth about $280 billion, with the goal of strengthening the domestic semiconductor industry. It would give $52 billion to U.S. chip manufacturers. Another $100 billion would go to the National Science Foundation. Chips are critical components in many products, from cars, weapons, and washing machines to even video games. Supporters of the bill say it'll help the U.S. compete with China, since Beijing is heavily subsidizing its own chip industry. But some opposing it say it's a massive giveaway to chip builders and will put Americans further in debt. Another bill making the rounds is the Schumer Mansion Spending Bill, dubbed the Inflation Reduction Act. Senate Democrats could vote on it as early as this week. We talked about the new corporate minimum tax in the bill yesterday. There's also a lesser-known item, which is a tax on oil imports. These types of taxes usually carry over to the consumer and raise gas prices. And today's Colin Fredrickson explains. The climate and tax bill Senators Chuck Schumer and Joe Manchin have agreed to both restores and raises a tax on imported crude and petroleum products. The tax would be 16.4 cents per barrel. It will raise energy costs. I mean, the, the, whether it's 16.4 cents or whatever the amount, uh, commercial businesses will find ways to pass that on, and, and it winds up uh, at the consumer level. Tom McNulty is the president of T.J. McNulty & Company, an energy industry consultancy. McNulty says the government is balancing two different priorities, an energy transition agenda and lowering inflation, especially in regards to energy prices. Gas prices are falling, but they're still far higher than they've been in recent history. The idea with these taxes is that they're supposed to be to address the risk of chemical spills. The government is responsible for cleaning up a lot of these sort of chemical accidents or, or whatnot. Alex Morishanu is a federal policy analyst at the Tax Foundation. Morishanu says these taxes are supposed to fund programs that deal with these accidents. That raises a, a relatively small amount of revenue. Um, our economic model suggested around $13 billion over 10 years, which of course certainly sounds like a lot, but in the context of the federal government is relatively small. His economic model estimates there'll be 2,000 job losses over 10 years as a result. This is relatively small in the context of the whole U.S. economy, and Morishanu estimates there'll be about 0.2 cents a gallon of uh, higher uh, uh, gas prices. The national average gas price is currently $4.16. Alan Fredrickson, NTD News. OPEC Plus is making some moves to boost oil production, but just by a little bit. The group of oil producing nations today agreed to raise output by 100,000 barrels per day starting in September. That equates to 86 seconds worth of global oil demand. Washington had hoped for much more. President Biden has visited Saudi Arabia last month to persuade OPEC to pump more oil to help rein in oil prices. For months, prices have climbed as Western embargoes on Russian oil have limited global supply. But low investment has seen some member states unable to pump any more. 
only Saudi Arabia and the UAE are believed to have any ability to ramp up. Also, fears of a possible global recession threaten to slash demand for crude and could be another reason producers are reluctant to increase production too much. The Chinese Communist Party is buying up American land and property. A new report by the Heritage Foundation is warning of the threat this poses. And here to talk to NTD's Don Ma more in depth about the issue is Dustin Carmack. He co-authored the report. Dustin, thanks for coming on again. So I read your article on the threat of CCP land use in the U.S. Now tell me, what's the big deal that the CCP is buying up U.S. farmland property and other infrastructure? Yeah, no, I think it's one of those issues that, you know, it's kind of been underneath the radar for, for a number of years now. But, you know, the USDA is even qualified with the data that we do have that we know about, uh, that Chinese investment in farmland in the country has gone up by about tenfold in the last 10 years. Uh, and what we do have concerns about is uh, there was issues with uh, some purchases uh, for a windmill operation near Laughlin Air Force Base. Uh, down in Texas, and then most recently, uh, an adventure, a kind of a, a co-adventure with uh, a U.S. business uh, in North Dakota near Grand Forks Air Base, which contains you know, a lot of sensitive uh, equipment as it relates to our space uh, network system and and uh, a lot of our UAS systems uh, in the United States for the transmission of of feeds from those. Why is China buying these properties? What is what do they intend to do with the land? Well, generally, there's concerns from legislatures, including the Senate and the House Intelligence Committees and many members in Congress, on what this could mean, though, for possible espionage operations as it relates to being near critical infrastructure, near military bases, uh, and near sensitive sites. Can you give us a possible worst-case scenario? Well, one, you know, it's been well documented in terms of the Chinese espionage operations in the United States, uh, many from either cyber, uh, but many other elements. And so there's been worries. The FBI, you know, has had a a case here a few years ago uh, where they actually caught, you know, a Chinese agent stealing uh, GMO seeds uh, in a a cornfield to bring back uh, to China. But this really relates to possibly concerns on, you know, military applications and the ability to either... uh, you know, transmit uh, and understand how our signals uh, leave, you know, potential installations going into space and also just observe uh, U.S. tactics or have access and and be on the grid structure near critical infrastructure. Now, uh, let's say I'm an everyday American. How does this affect me personally? This kind of goes, you know, tenfold across, you know, all these different technology sectors. But you know, farmland and, and agriculture is a major target of the uh, of the Chinese Communist Party. They've they've said that themselves. Biotechnology, the ability to understand and 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 uh, affect food supplies, not only for themselves, uh, but more long term. And also at the same time, there's little reciprocity. Uh, for for the U.S. Uh, for a U.S. consumer or U.S. person to be able to go do the same type of uh, capital investments in China itself. I think some people might have this question in mind: Just because China is buying the land, should we just automatically assume that they have ulterior motives? Well, regardless of the you know a company or a, a Chinese person, uh, essentially uh, has to you know, if the state asks them to comply with an intelligence operation or to turn over their documents or data. 
they have to do that. And so that's one of the main concerns here as we kind of go forward is even in with these kind of joint adventures uh, at times with U.S. companies or, you know, capital investment firms, uh, that those could get quickly mixed uh, into possible applications for military use or for intelligence operations. And there's multiple you know, DOJ investigations uh, that have indicted uh, individuals in the United States also for carrying out essentially adverse actions and threatening Chinese nationals in the United States that had no intention of uh, nefarious purposes, but you will use either espionage tools or essentially blackmail to either scare family members back in China into uh, essentially doing the bidding of the Communist Party of China. I see. All right. Dustin Carmack at Heritage Foundation. Thanks again for joining us. Yeah, thank you. Wall Street ended sharply higher today. The Nasdaq closed at its highest level since early May. It rose 319 points, or two and six-tenths of a percent. The Dow added 416 points, or one and three-tenths of a percent. And the S&P gained 64 points, or one and six-tenths of a percent. Luxury car maker BMW has warned of tougher times ahead. It's the first car maker to warn of softer demand, according to analysts at Bernstein Research. The company says today that the second half of this year looks highly volatile. Inflation and possible gas shortages are hitting demand. It's raised prices for its cars, but that's only partially making up for lower output. On the supply side, two factors. Energy supplies in Europe and the availability of semiconductor chips will be crucial. BMW has cut its output forecast for this year. Compared to BMW, Mercedes-Benz was more upbeat and last week raised its earning outlook for the year. BMW shares dropped around 6% today. Robinhood's quarterly revenue has plummeted 44% year-over-year, mainly because of plummeting transaction-based revenues, its main source of income. The company had a net loss of $295 million. Robinhood's CEO wrote a letter to his employees beginning with Dear Robin Hoodies. Then he announced 23% of employees will be laid off, with the operations, marketing, and program management divisions taking the biggest hits. He said this is because he's seen additional deterioration of the macro environment, citing 40-year high inflation and a crypto market crash. Robinhood is now implementing a management system with flatter hierarchies. Multiple general managers will be responsible for Robinhood's individual businesses. He says this will reduce cross-functional dependencies and redundant roles. If you're a typical worker who got a new job in the past year, chances are you're making a lot more money now than you did before. How much more? Entities Philzo has the answer. Did you get a new job recently? How much was the pay compared to your old job? You know, like a, a 30 to 40% salary bump on top of that, it's hard to say no to. Andrew Prince was a search engine optimization expert at a law firm, but then got recruited to one of the largest online furniture companies in the U.S. with a huge pay raise. So I actually loved the law firm job. It was uh, absolutely amazing, especially during COVID. 
but in the digital marketing and tech world, uh, it moves fast and you want to develop your skills even further. The average worker who switched jobs in the past year starting April 2021 made 10% more money compared to the year before. That's according to the Pew Research Center. But inflation has also been hitting record highs, increasing 9% in June compared to a year ago. Our clients typically get 30, 40, 50% raises. 10% on average made sense because we had about 10% inflation. Michael Gibbs is the CEO and founder of Go Cloud Careers, helping professionals in the tech industry score their dream jobs. If you're trying to transition careers, I recommend you pick something that's either a revenue-generating position or something that saves businesses a lot of money because those are the skills that are going to be needed in a rough economic environment. Prince says his job is pretty much recession-proof because he's helping companies save money all the time. So I get recruited all the time. Um, my LinkedIn messages and Twitter DMs get spammed. Uh, I think SEO is a very uh, highly translatable skill, especially with a recession coming up that people are looking to cut their advertising budgets at their company. However, the hot job market from the past year might be cooling. The latest data from the U.S. Labor Department show job openings dropping 5% to around 11 million in June, the third month in a row that job openings have gone down. Phil Zoe, NTD News. Still to come, credit giant Equifax says it sent inaccurate credit scores on millions of Americans who are looking for loans. How did that happen? Some jewelry of the king of rock and roll up for auction soon. They've been missing for five decades. That and more coming up on NTD Business. Welcome back. A tech issue is to blame for millions of faulty credit scores being issued on Americans looking for loans. Credit giant Equifax admits inaccurate data were sent out during a three-week period earlier this year. Because of these false credit scores, some people got higher interest rates. Others had their loan applications denied. Equifax says the coding issue that caused the problem is now resolved. The company handles credit information for more than 200 million consumers in the U.S. In 2017, Equifax was hacked, resulting in the leak of sensitive data on close to 150 million Americans. A collection of jewelry that once belonged to legendary singer Elvis Presley is up for grabs. The items have been missing for over 50 years and are now reassembled and ready for auction. NTD's Colin Fredrickson has the details. Elvis Presley's jewelry is going up for auction. The singer gave this collection to his manager, Colonel Tom Parker. 200 items, including gold rings encrusted with jewels, cufflinks, watches and chains, have been brought together by GWS Auctions. Many of the pieces were provided by Presley's former wife, Priscilla Presley. Well, it brings back memories for sure. 
Um, you know, Elvis loved jewelry, we all know, but the, the rings here and the pieces uh, um, really bring joy. He has a light, lighter here that I absolutely love, and we'll look at that in a few minutes. Um, uh, and I remember quite well. And we have pieces, of course, here that I, I remember very well, him not knowing exactly what to give, and then we would pick out the pieces together. So, uh, yeah, Elvis loved jewelry. There's no doubt about it. He loved jewelry. Priscilla Presley says she supports the auction, in part because she was weary of seeing so many fake Elvis artifacts for sale. And I want people, fans, people who love it, know that it is authentic. There's so much product out there that is not authentic at all, and that worries me. I don't want fans or people buying things that people say that it's Elvis's or Elvis worn it, when there's so many of that. And I got involved because I want to know for sure that that is going to someone who's going to care for it, love it, and it's authentic. Colin Fredrickson, NTD News. That's the latest from the NTD business team and myself, Chenny Wu. You can follow me on Twitter. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, send us an email at business at NTD.com. That's all for today. Thanks for watching, and we'll see you tomorrow.